phrase in the middle of Clinton. My anchor holds from Bloomington Normal. They were at Reveal for a Sunday evening this year. They're coming back. It's going to be a great evening. If you're 15, 35, or 75, you will be blessed by Praise on the Square July 13. And then one final thing I forgot to mention when Carson was up here, the baptistry that was in the video when the baptisms were taking place, that was purchased with the VBS offering from last year at Clinton FCC. That's where our offering money went to, how cool it was to see kids actually being baptized, or see adults being baptized, coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we see this passage of Scripture. It says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And this next slide gives you all the different major translations. And, and I love what the message does, the paraphrase, the message says, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. And it, it's big business today. It's tough business being a father who is focused and intentional in 2014. Anyone can father a child, but it is tough to be a father that's focused and has purpose in this life. And if you are like me and many other fathers, oftentimes you come to church on Father's Day and the preacher preaches a sermon about what the ideal father should be like, and you walk away feeling more discouraged than encouraged. You walk away saying, I'm not doing this, 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 and this. Let's go eat lunch. That's not what I want to have happen to you today. I don't want the experience that you have today to be like the experience of one family where the little boy met the preacher on the way out the door and said, good Father's Day message today, preacher. My dad slumped way down during your message. I don't want that to be your experience. I want us together as fathers to realize we all fall short of God's glory. We're never going to be the ideal, but we can be the best we possibly can be if that's our goal, if that's our desire. There's a lot of pressures facing fathers today. In the book of Genesis, we see the story of Jacob. And one year, we haven't done this yet, I want to take an entire summer and I want to study Jacob. There's so much about his life. There's so much positive. There's a lot of negative in the life of Jacob. But late in his life, I'm talking Genesis chapters 46, 47, 48, 49, we see Jacob begin to reflect on his life. We see him bless his sons and we see how he was able to overcome many of the pressures that he faced. Jacob faced the pressure of protecting his children. And fathers today, we struggle with the idea of protecting our children. When they're three, they're four, they're five, we want to make sure that they, they don't touch the hot stove or that they ride their bike safely or that they don't go someplace there that might be danger. And then the next thing you know, you go to bed and you wake up and they're 16 years of age and they're driving. And then there's a whole nother level of protection. And I think many fathers would say that even when they go into the college age and, and into adulthood, you never stop feeling that pressure to protect your children. Uh, Jacob felt the pressure of providing for his children. Jacob had a huge family. And for a significant amount of time, there was a famine in the land. And Jacob was worried, how am I going to provide for my children and my grandchildren? And so he sent his sons to Egypt to buy grain. It was all part of God's master plan. But Jacob felt this pressure of providing. And fathers, let's be honest. We struggle with the idea of providing for our kids. Some of you are like me. You're getting ready to send a child to college. Guess what? 
college isn't cheap, and, and we have that pressure of, is there going to be enough money? Have we saved enough? Ha- have we planned well? Are we going to be able to make it? Number three, fathers face the pressure of past failures. And I want to spend some time here this morning. Jacob had a lot of good, as I said, but Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob was a liar. Jacob alienated his brother Esau to the point that Esau wanted to kill him. And even though they would reconcile for the rest of his life, Jacob struggled with that past failure. And I know a lot of fathers here today, you haven't lived a perfect life. And you've got failure in your past. Maybe it was 20 years ago. Maybe it was 20 days ago. That's a pressure that we bring into the relationship. I told my Sunday school class today, our kids see us at our best, but our kids see us at our worst. My daughter and my son have seen me in ways most of you, if not all of you, never have in a negative way. Now, don't go run up to them after church. They're not going to tell any stories, but our kids see us at our very worst. And sometimes that past failure is a pressure that we need to overcome. Number four, fathers face the pressure to be a positive influence. There's so much negative. There's so much discouragement. We want to have that, that, that positive influence, but with that comes pressure. And then finally, number five, fathers face the pressure to prepare their children for the future. And those of you that are where I am today, getting ready to send a kid to college, you wonder, you know, have I taught them everything they need to know? Are they ready to face the real world? Are they ready to deal with life? And that's a pressure that you bring. Well, I don't want to talk about these pressures. They're real. Um, they're, they're absolutely in our lives. But what I want to do today is I want to give you, the Father, a key term And I hope that this is the term that will roll through your mind the rest of today and really the rest of this week and this month as you think about where you are as a father and where you want to go moving forward. And the key term is the word encouragement. How can we encourage our fathers, our our children? How as fathers can we encourage our children? Too many times we get caught up in the negative. We get caught up in what we are not. We get caught up in what our relationship has not been. And we miss golden opportunities to encourage our children moving forward. So I want to just share with you four ways fathers can encourage their children. And number one is this, fathers encourage when they celebrate. We can encourage by celebrating. Gallup did a 10-year study, the Gallup uh, poll people, a 10-year study on how do you best improve the performance of a would-be leader, a future leader. And they discovered that by a, by a huge amount, you will best improve a would-be leader by celebrating his or her strengths compared to criticizing his or her weaknesses. When you celebrate what they're good at, when you celebrate their achievements, it is a positive reinforcement, so much more than the negative reinforcement of critiquing or criticizing what they're not so good at. I think of my life as father uh, of Jordan and of Peyton, and too many times I focused on the negative instead of the positive. Too many times I've said, Peyton, that foul was a a bad play. Why why did you take that intentional foul instead of focusing on the 20 points that he scored? Too many times with Jordan I've said, "Why, why did you miss that one question on the test when you got the 99 right? Is that to say that we don't want to set the bar high? Of course we want to set the bar high. 
But fathers, let's celebrate our kids. And if you are the father of adult children, you can celebrate them as well. So here's an idea. Dad, just take this as food for thought. Why not sit down today and just write a letter to your child, however old they are, however young they are, celebrating who they are as your son, celebrating who they are as your daughter. Let's celebrate together. Another way that fathers encourage is by challenging. We encourage when we challenge. Um, I'm going to embarrass Peyton. He's in here. I didn't think he was going to be here today, but it's in the notes, so you're going to get it. But um, this year, he came home from school, and Marla and I had been checking the, uh, the online grading scale, and he had B- minus in a class. And math teacher Marla was not happy about the B- minus in the class and said something to him, and he had a great speech. It's like he'd prepared it, and he said, Dad, C is average. I've got a B-. minus. That's good enough. And math teacher Marla let him know real quickly it was not good enough, and it wasn't good enough for him. He needed to work a little bit harder. Not every child is going to be a straight-A student. Not every child is going to be the star on the basketball team or the captain of the cheerleading squad or the leader of Scholastic Bowl. But we are at our best. We encourage our kids best when we challenge them in a positive way to be more than they think they can be. So many teens today. So many kids today, so many adults today have a very low self-esteem. I I was moved last week to hear Cody talk about just some of the anxiety that he had just coming to church, just being dropped off at church. And man, that's throughout this building. That's throughout this community. And sometimes we encourage our children best when we challenge them to be what they never thought they could be. Can you help your child picture their future in a way that maybe they didn't ever think was possible. I'm not saying set the bar so high, Olympic champion, World Cup soccer champion. I'm not talking about that. But help them picture a future that even they can't see at this point. Number three, fathers encourage when they clarify. Fathers encourage when they clarify. Um, I'm blessed. I've been blessed my whole life. My story, many of you know I was adopted at the age of two days old to uh, Jim and Dorothy Taylor in Champaign, um, Christian family, raised in a Christian family, and um, I lost my dad four years ago. Uh, I miss him every day. Uh, I, I'm so thankful that um, of the many legacies that he left me was the legacy of faith. My first Sunday that I was on this earth, I was at the First Christian Church of Champaign, and I was at the First Christian Church of Champaign almost every other Sunday that I was alive living in their house. And uh, I, I love my dad. I want you to hear that. But I'm going to be very transparent this morning, pr- probably more than some of you think that I should be. And, and I don't do this to, to get sympathy. I don't do this um, for a personal purpose. I do this because I think many have wrestled as I wrestle with what I'm about to tell you. In 1999, um, there, there was a decision that my wife and I made, and it really upset my father, really angered him. And he called me on the telephone and shared with me in words I'd never heard him use before how mad he was at me. And I, I don't even want to say some of the things that he said. And, and he kind of set his piece, and he hung up the phone, and um, man, it broke me. It cut me in ways I didn't know I could be broken, and I didn't know that I could be cut. 
And I talked to my mom, and my mom assured me that he was upset, but it was gone. And I talked to my wife, and I talked to my sister, and I talked to my best friends. And um, through it all, through the next ten and a half years that, that I had with him left on this earth, I never talked with him about that moment. He never brought it up, and I never brought it up. And um, I, I talked to him two weeks later, and it was fine. It was like it had never happened, but he knew it happened, and I knew it happened. And um, for whatever reason, I never stepped up, and he never stepped up to clarify that moment of harshness. I think the hardest words for men to communicate so, so much of the time are three words, I am sorry. And um, when he passed away in January of 2010, one of the first things that, that rolled through my mind is we never, we never clarified we never reconciled that moment. And so, fathers, I, I just, I plead with you this morning, will you step outside your comfort zone and will you work to end, to resolve conflicts? Maybe you don't have a conflict that, that, that's four years old. Maybe it's four weeks old. You know, if we're not careful, a four-week-old conflict can become a four-month, can become a four-year, can become four decades. So that's something fathers can do to encourage their children that's way uncomfortable. That's way out there. But I challenge you to think about that. I challenge you to prayerfully consider will you encourage by clarifying. Number four, fathers can encourage by clearing. Fathers can encourage by clearing. Um, what hurdles are in the way of your children that are keeping them from being all that they can be? Um, you know, we live in the day and the age of the helicopter parents, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about hovering over, and, and when little Bessie falls down, you're, you're there every time to pick her up. I'm not talking about that, but sometimes the hurdles are so extreme. Man, kids say, children say, adult children say, I'll never be able to make it through that hurdle. And, and one way fathers can encourage is by clearing. The best way this has ever been illustrated for me is through a Sports Illustrated article. I, I love Rick Riley. Rick Riley wrote his last sports article this week, and I know some of you probably don't like Rick Riley because he can be very obnoxious in his writing, but I think he is an incredibly gifted sports writer, and he writes about the accounts of Jake Porter, and I, I want to tell you about this account. Jake Porter was a high school football player in Ohio, and he was born, unlike probably any of us were born, he was born with a condition called the Fragile X Syndrome. It's a chromosomal condition that left him unable to read. He couldn't write his own name. And he was dealing with all kinds of other developmental issues. He was um, a special needs student. But Jake Porter loved the game of football. And so the mom went to the coach and said, Jake can never play in the game. He'd never be able to tackle or be tackled. But he just, he loves football. He wants to be on the team. And so the coach, Dave Franz, said, Jake, you can be on the team if you come to practice and if you don't cause trouble and if you behave. And for four years, Jake Porter came to practice every day. And when the team would just line up just for practice, he would get so excited, he'd start bouncing with joy. And finally, in his senior year, Coach Dave France decided he was going to do something to honor Jake Porter. He was getting ready to play the, the team in the conference that was the powerhouse. Northwest High wasn't very good that year, but Waverly High School would go on to, to, to win a title that year, a conference title that year. And so Coach Franz called his fellow coach, Derek DeWitt, and said, I have a favor. 
With five seconds left in the game, would it be possible to call a timeout and to allow Jake Porter to come into the game? I want to hand him the football. He's going to take a knee, and the game will end. And Coach DeWitt agreed. So with five seconds left in the chosen game, Northwest was losing 42 to nothing at this point. Coach France called timeout. Jake was brought to the huddle, and the two coaches met at midfield. Rick Riley picks it up. He says, fans could see there was a disagreement between the coaches. DeWitt was shaking his head. He was waving his arms. After a referee finally stepped in, play resumed, and Jake got the ball. Jake didn't quite know what to do. He kind of just wobbled as he'd practiced all week getting ready to take a knee, but his teammates stopped him from kneeling down, and they told him to run. Jake started to run, but he ran in the wrong direction. The referee stopped him and said, no, run the other way. And he started to run toward the huge Waverly defensive line when suddenly the Waverly line parted like peasants for a king. Suddenly, Jake wasn't one boy all alone about to get creamed. Suddenly, he was surrounded by 21 teammates all urging him to run for the goal. In the stands, mothers cried, fathers roared. Players on both sidelines held their helmets high to the sky and whooped it up. Apparently, what happened before the big play, Coach France had reminded Coach DeWitt of the deal, that Jake would get the ball and take a knee. But Coach DeWitt would have none of it. Your boy is going to score, he said. France resisted. DeWitt insisted, and DeWitt called over his defense. Boys that would be champions. He said, number 45 is going to get that ball. You're going to open up the hole, and he's going to score a touchdown. With his arms churning, with his face grinning, Jake Porter scored the touchdown heard around the world, and he claimed his varsity letter. Once upon a time, God, your Father, looked upon you and me, his children, and he realized that we lacked the, the strength to reach the goal on our own. And so he called out a play, and Jesus Christ opened up a hole in the wall of sin and death so you and me could go stumbling through the, the goal line and score a touchdown that matters for all of eternity. Dad, how are you helping your kids reach that ultimate goal of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Bottom line for dad today is this, give your children your heart. That's the true test of fatherhood. It has nothing to do with money, has nothing to do with success. What makes a man a great father is that he gives his children his heart. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for uh, real life stories that move us to emotion. Thank you for a morning to consider how we can be encouragement to our children. But thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, your son. That when it looked like we had nowhere to go, you had a plan. And for that, we are forever grateful. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It is invitation time, as it is every Sunday here at First Christian Church. And if, uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus, 
you know, I can't say it any stronger than this. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. And we invite you as Sam and the team leads us in, in this song to make that decision. I invite you, if you're not comfortable with a public decision, to seek me out after this service, to seek me out during this week, any of the ministers or leaders of our church. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're going through a tough time. Maybe this sermon has opened up a, a well of emotion for you. I'd love to pray with you this morning. I'll be up front. Adam Brucker, our associate minister, will be in the back. We'd love to have a chance to pray with you as Sam leads us in our song of commitment. I'm going to go ahead and read some scriptures just about the Father's love before we stand and sing this song. Romans 8, 15 through 17. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air. They, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We stand as we worship together. No power, no wind. 
Continuing on with our Father's Day theme, um, Alan Peterson tells the story about a small boy who was constantly coming home from school late, and his parents had warned him that one day he must be home on time after school, but nevertheless, he came home an hour late. His mother met him at the door, said nothing. At dinner that night, the boy looked at his plate. There was one slice of bread and a glass of water. He looked at his father's plate, and it was full of meat and potatoes and vegetables. And he looked at his father, but his father looked away, remaining silent. The boy was crushed. The father waited for the full impact to sink in, and then quietly took the boy's plate and put it in front of himself, and took his own plate of meat and potatoes, put it in front of his boy, and smiled at his son. When that boy grew to be a man, he said, all my life, I've known what God's grace is like by what my father did that night. God's grace, it's better than incredible. It's more than wonderful. It's beyond special. God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus on the cross for you and for me. Paul said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Reflect on these things this morning as the bread and the juice are passed. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that Jesus Christ, your son, even though he was perfect, died on the cross for me. That even though I deserve bread and water, I get meat and potatoes, spiritually speaking. We love you. It's in your name we pray.
Let's drink the cup together. VBS this week was awesome for, for many reasons, but i got to be honest with you. I was really tired at the end of the week. I've never been the mission before, and I was the missionary. And so I would do a mission moment in the morning, and then I would go to seven different classes throughout the day. I mean, it just flew by right like that. Um, and I was the mission because I was raising money for the Kuki Christian Mission in India. But one of the things that was really cool is I snuck down to the second grade class one morning. Jordan uh, was teaching that morning, and they were talking about um, what it means to give to the Lord and how giving to the Lord, it's more than just giving money. Sometimes giving money is the easy thing, but it's giving our time and our treasure and our talent to the Lord. And, and so I couldn't stop thinking about what Jesus said was the greatest commandment in that light. Jesus was asked what's most important. Jesus didn't go to the Ten Commandments, but instead he went to the Shema. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And that's really our challenge, to embrace that theology that it's all his, and we are just blessed individuals temporarily on this earth, and that we really have no choice but to give him everything that we have, time, treasure, and talents. Thanks for giving to First Christian Church. I, I know it's a challenging time. General fund is down. We're trying to raise money for next steps, but you're doing great. Great days are ahead, and, and I just want to thank you for giving sacrificially to First Christian Church. Let's pray. God, we love you so much, and right now we have an opportunity to give back to you just a small portion of what you've blessed us with. And I'm so thankful for First Christian Church of Clinton, the ministries that make a difference, the lives that are being changed. It, it is just such a great blessing. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As the ushers are collecting the offering before Sam and the team leads us in our closing song, uh, you may have noticed the bounce houses upstairs. I want to just give you a little background behind that. We have always wrestled as a church. We have 200 kids come to VBS, and half of them we don't see the rest of the year. And we'd like to think that they're part of other churches, but more than likely, most of them probably aren't. So we tried to give them an incentive to come back today. And I can't tell you the number of kids that I saw that had no idea where they were going at 930. And that means they don't usually come to church here at 930. And they were excited to be here. And I'm just thankful for Cody and Shelly and Sam led worship force, the, the entire crew that, that worked tireless this, tirelessly this week at Vacation Bible School. It would not be possible without them. First Christian Church is a, a very special place, and I'm just honored to be able to serve here, and I thank you for being a part of our family of God. Let's end our service, buddy. You guys want to stand? We have one more song. Our eyes.